invite you to uh, take your Bibles or a pew Bible and, and turn with me to John. Uh, we'll still be in verse 13 this morning. We're starting in verse 18. Uh, John uh, 13, verse 18. It has been said, a stab from a friend cuts deeper than from a foe. A stab from a friend or a wound from a friend cuts deeper than from a foe. Jesus has been friends with these disciples for three and a half years. He has been close with them. They've ate together. They've traveled together. They've learned together. They've experienced hostilities together. And now we're approaching the hour of Jesus' betrayal, where one of his friends is going to betray him. A stab from a friend cuts deeper than from a foe. Uh, many of us have been betrayed by our friends. On a more lighthearted note, my best friend betrayed me by going after a girl he knew I liked. And when I found out they were dating, it led to some fist punching in the church parking lot. <laughs> it happens. Betrayal hurts. On a more serious note, William Tyndale, who was uh, credited with the first ever English translation of the Bible, was a wanted man. He was a criminal. The church and the government wanted to kill him because he was translating, well, they would say that he was changing God's word, but what he was doing was he was translating God's word into a form for the common people to be able to read it and understand it. A, another young man who used to be rich, squandered his wealth, was on hard luck, found out about the reward for turning in William Tyndale. So this man befriended Tyndale, got close with him, was a part of the work that Tyndale was doing, and then turned him in, which led to William Tyndale being burned at the stake. Betrayal. It's tough. It's hard. It hurts. It's a heavy topic that we're looking at when we get to this part of Jesus' story. For many, for, for many, we say it's a dark time in the life and ministry of Jesus. And it, in, in a sense, it is. The darkness of betrayal is here. The darkness of the crucifixion is here. And we look at it with eyes knowing the whole story, don't we? Because we know that he's going to be resurrected. We know how it's going to end. But put yourself in the moment of these disciples having a meal with Jesus Again, it's hard to nail down the time frame. This could be the Passover meal. Um, I tend to think it's a meal prior to what will happen. Uh, but it's just it's hard to know when you put all the Gospels together, the time frame of the meals that happened during this last week. But nonetheless, these are 12 disciples with Jesus, and they're just hanging out with each other. They're having a very intimate meal together. Last week, Jesus washed their feet demonstrating how much he loves them. And we know that Judas was in the room. But as we look deeper at this moment of betrayal, I think you're going to see something very important. You're not only going to see how much he loved Judas as he washed his feet, but you're going to see that even here at the end, Jesus is still trying to reach Judas. 
So if you just, let's just read kind of how this story plays out, starting in verse 18. Again, this is kind of all coming from the foot washing Jesus has been teaching, so it's just kind of all running together. He says, I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. Now I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. Truly. This is, this, this is important. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, listen, turn your eyes. Stop cutting up. This is, this is important. Truly, I tell you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus said these things, he was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. So the disciples started to look at one another uncertain which one he was speaking about. One of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus. Now that's John. That's how John identifies himself, the disciple Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus. Simon Peter motioned to him to find out who it was he was talking about. So he leaned back, the disciple Jesus loved, so he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus replied, he's the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. When he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. After Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you're doing, do quickly. None of those reclining at the table knew why he said this to him. Since Judas kept the money bag, some thought that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. But after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately left, and it was night. It is the story of betrayal. But I think what we see in this story is just an amazing Hope. I think this whole series has been come and see who Jesus is. And here we see who Jesus really is. The first thing I, I want us to see in first verses 18 through 21 is Jesus knows what is about to happen. This is not going to catch Jesus by surprise. He wants his disciples to know. <clears throat> this, I know that this is about to happen. Jesus is that it's a part of his divinity where he is all-knowing. From the moment he met Judas, he knew Judas would be the one to betray him. From the moment he looked at Judas and said, come follow me or come and see or join, join this, this group of people who are, who are following me, the Son of God, whatever the invitation looked like, as soon as Jesus extended that invitation to Judas, he knew what was going to happen. Nothing surprises God and nothing surprises Jesus. That's important for us to understand. Uh, in fact, he says that it is not, he only, he, it's not only that he knows it's going to happen, he knows it must happen. Jesus has to be betrayed. Jesus has to be turned over. Jesus has to be crucified. So he knows that Judas is going to do it. He knows that Judas has to do it. 
And he quotes this Psalm 41.9, which gives us a, a, a very interesting picture of how Jesus is feeling in the moment. He says, the one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. Anybody watch Dr. Pohl on, on National Geographic? Okay, there's like two of you or three of you. Y'all need to watch it. It's amazing. But there are these episodes where they're out on the farm and the cows or the horses, I, the cows are the ones that intrigue me. They don't always cooperate. We watched this like last week. He, this cow rears up and kicks some of the, not, not Dr. Pohl, because uh, he's out of the way, but just uh, the guy who owned the cow kicked him right in the gut. I imagine that was painful. You ever been kicked by a cow? I've never been kicked by a horse or a cow. I bet it hurts. And the guy just laid on the ground like, and then they did this post-event interview. You know how these TV shows are? He goes, I ain't gonna lie, it hurt. <laughs> yeah, he's country people. You know, trying to be tough for TV. That's the picture of this uh, reference to Psalm 149. It's literally a mule or a horse rising up and kicking the guy that's feeding him. He's like, oh, I, don't, I, yeah, I wanted filet mignon tonight, and you're giving me chicken. I'm going to kick you in the face. That's, that's the idea behind this passage. So literally, Jesus is saying, I'm here with my friends, and I'm feeding you, and one of you are getting ready to jump up and kick me in the face. Which leads, and he knows it's going to happen. And, and if you look at what he says in verse 21, he says, it says, when Jesus said this, he was troubled. He was troubled. You see, I don't want you to miss what John is telling us about Jesus. Jesus knows the heart of Judas. Jesus is very aware that Judas has never surrendered his heart to him. Jesus knows that it's darkness and he is troubled. That is the same word that is used in John eleven thirty three, When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And if you remember the context of that story, that's when his friend Lazarus is dead. The same emotion he is having while his best friend, Lazarus, being killed or being taken from sickness, taken from us because of sickness, it says he was troubled. Now as he thinks about the heart of Judas, he is troubled. He is troubled by the sin that has corrupted the life of Judas. He's troubled by the fact that a close friend of his, someone he has pursued and loved on, is turning to darkness or has turned to darkness. For us, I think here's what's very important. Jesus knows your heart as well. Jesus knows the darkness that is in all of our hearts. And listen, there are sins that we try to hide from people. Jesus knows. Three and a half years, Judas has been hiding his true feelings from people, but not from Jesus. We even try to hide our sins from ourselves. We have issues, we have problems, we have temptations, we have addictions, and and a lot of people, just they, they, they deny the, the, the existence of a problem. They, they hide it from others. They hide it from themselves. They don't want to admit that they're sinners. They think everything is okay. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's like, well, I'm just too prideful to admit that I have a problem. Maybe it's embarrassment. 
They're embarrassed with those secret temptations or secret sins. Either, either way, for, for whatever reason, we, there are people who hide their sins from others and from themselves. But listen, you need to understand something. Jesus knows. He knows if you've surrendered your whole heart to him. He knows if there's a portion or a section that you're not giving him. He knows it, and it breaks his heart. It just absolutely is, this is a strong emotional word. It is destroying him emotionally. And, and yes, there's the emotions that he knows he's getting ready to be crucified, so that's in play. There's a lot that's in play, and Jesus is just troubled. But the context of this passage is dealing with Judas. He is troubled that the heart of Judas is still lost. He's brokenhearted. I, I don't want you to miss that. Jesus is brokenhearted over sin. Jesus never comes to condemn. He comes to save. And so he's troubled. Now then the disciples have a reaction because most of the disciples don't know what's going on. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. And uh, I, I find a little bit of humor in the passage that Peter is not sitting next to Jesus and that Peter, being the nosy one, wants to know what's happening. And I mean, you, you can see how this is playing out. You're like, psst, psst, John, John, John. You can see how this is happening. Who is it? Because remember, from the text, John is beside Jesus. Now, I, I left this out last week, so this is good because this is important for today's message. Here's the scene. It's probably a U-shaped table, kind of a, uh, like maybe two tables like this. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, could be U or kind of a, a semi-square kind of thing. And the disciples, when it says they're reclining at the, pat, the table, what that means is they're laying on their left side. I'm not going to do it. That would be weird. But they're laying on their left side, their left elbows down. They eat with their right hand. And so... It's, it's literally head to feet. That's why washing feet's necessary, okay? Because somebody's head is at somebody's feet. That's kind of the picture, okay? Now, there's two places of honor, okay? Right side, left side of the head of the table. And the picture we have here is Jesus is at the head of the table. John must be at one side because, every, because Peter's like, hey, who is it? And it says, John just kind of rolled back almost into the lap of Jesus. How beautiful picture, by the way. You ever had a little kid just kind of lay their head on your lap and then want to talk to you like my kids do that? That's really the picture. John literally just kind of rolls over and his head is kind of in the lap of Jesus. Oh, that's just so awesome how great Jesus is. But anyway, and so John has this very intimate conversation with Jesus that apparently none of the other disciples can really hear or understand. But in this conversation, even though it is revealed to John who the betrayer is, there is so much more happening in this last, last act between Jesus and Judas. I just want to read it again. I want us to feel the force behind it. In verse 26, again, John says, who is it? And Jesus says, he's the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. This was a customary toast, okay? This is, this is a very honorable thing that Jesus is talking about. I, I'm going to dip this little morsel, this crumb of bread into this drink, and who I hand it to is kind of the main person of honor. I'm going, it's like giving him a toast. But in the context here, Jesus says, who I give it to is the one who's going to betray me. 
When he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas. And none of the other disciples seem to be aware of what's happening. Who's sitting beside Jesus at the table? John is at a place of honor, and Judas is at a place of honor. Jesus just turns and then gives him the toast, the honorary toast. That's the heart of Jesus, who says, I know what you're getting ready to do. I know what you have to do. And I'm going to let you sit right beside me. I'm going to wash your feet. And I'm going to make the toast to you. And every commentator, everybody I've read and studied this week says this is the last act of love that Jesus shows. And obviously the crucifixion is an act of love. But this is the kind of last ditch effort probably the best way to put it, uh, the last ditch effort for Jesus to show Judas how much he is loved. It's kind of the last ditch effort for, for, for Jesus to say, Judas, there's still a chance for you to repent. There's still one last moment for you to turn your heart to me. Now listen, Jesus knows he won't. He knows he can't. But he's still offers him grace. See, to me, that's the important message to take out of this text, is not necessarily the betrayal. But once again, you have Jesus knowing how dark his heart is, and he's still lovingly pursuing him, like the shepherd pursuing after the one lost sheep and leaving the 99. It's like, I'm good. I got these 12, they're good. I got the other 11, but I got one here who's still lost. But as Jesus knows is going to happen, Satan enters into Judas and he leaves. And the events of the crucifixion are well underway. There's a couple things I think we learn and a couple things I want us to take away. We've mentioned some of them. One, Jesus knows your heart. If you're here and you've never made a decision to follow him, if you've never surrendered your whole heart, if there's a sin that you're trying to hide, an escape, an addiction, uh, an anger problem, malice, you know, anything that rebels against God, if there is a sin problem in your life, Jesus knows it, and he's offering you grace. He says, I love you. I want you to be changed. I want to be, Jesus says, I want to be the one to transform you. I can transform you. It won't be easy. Sanctification is a hard, long process. But he's saying, listen, I know your heart. I love you dearly. There's still a chance for you to repent and turn away from the world and follow him. That's a very important message because the next thing I think we should learn is that we can be as close to Jesus as anybody else and still not give our heart to him. Judas was in the 12, three, three and a half years, and never surrendered his heart to him. There are people who have been in a church since before they were born. You need to hear me. That does not mean you've given your heart to Jesus. There are people who have been Sunday school teachers, who have been deacons, who have been servants, who lead. They've been as close to Jesus as you can get on this side of the resurrection and this side of heaven and they've never surrendered their heart it is possible 
I've heard the stories other pastors talk about, these people that they thought were just godly men were broken and finally for the first time gave their life to Christ. Pastors I know preached for years and were never saved or had never truly fully given their heart to the Lord. So just because it seems that you're close doesn't mean you've fully given your heart to him. Now, I don't mean to question anybody's salvation. I mean, the old thing is you've got to make sure you know that you know that you know. That's what the evangelists say. You know, you've got to know that you know that you know that you know. Are you sure? Well, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, then the Holy Spirit gives you that assurance in your heart. You know. You know when you mess up and sin. You get convicted. You know. But the Holy Spirit's also working in people that says, hey, you're really not. And you need to make the decision to surrender all of it to God. So that's really as, as we approach this time of invitation, as we get ready to respond to this message, that's really the takeaways. One, what are you hiding or trying to hide from God because you can't? What do you need to surrender to the Lord? And maybe you are a Christian and you still have, maybe you've, you're on this backsliding thing. And what, what is it that you're trying to keep from the Lord? Respond to him, give it to him. Let him begin the process of transforming. And the second thing is just this. Are you really a Christian? Have you really decided to follow Jesus? Or are you sitting at the place of honor with a hard heart? Listen, Jesus loves you. And he's calling you today. Come and follow. Not just a little bit but all of it. Give me all of it. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for this passage. Father, it is a dark time in the life and ministry of Jesus as his best, one of his best friends, one of his 12, is going to betray him. But Father, for us here today, it's such an encouragement to see how Jesus responds. Jesus doesn't respond with a, well, it has to happen, so just let it happen. He responds with love, compassion, and grace. He responds in such a way that helps us to understand how much he loves us when we sin. So Father, help us to receive the gift of salvation. Help us to surrender our whole heart to him. Father, for hearts that are hardened, Soften them. We just pray that you would transform us, that you would help us to overcome the temptations that we all struggle with, everyone here struggles with. Help us to give those temptations to you. Father, through the Holy Spirit, give us the power to overcome it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.